It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. Today's guest is Randy Ritchie, co-founder, CEO, and director of sales and marketing for Malibu Compost. His work as a landscape designer led him to start Malibu Compost, which is now available across the country. And Randy teaches true organic garden classes to further the world's understanding of regenerative and beyond organic agriculture methods. Thanks for talking with me, Randy. Hey, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, we are in our respective homes uh, during COVID-19. We met shortly after Malibu Compost was being born, and uh, we've seen each other at various heirloom expos and biodynamic pavilions and such. What was the impetus that brought you to Malibu Compost and biodynamics and true organics? During my time while I was, I had the first um, pretty much back in the day when it wasn't called sustainable, but sustainable landscape design and build company. Um, mm-hmm. What happened with us is I had a lot of clients that were looking for holistic and natural. So we're talking like in the eighties and, you know, and into the end of the eighties and into the nineties. Right. So I was looking for, something that was beyond what we knew. And I was trained by a bunch of old guys that had gray hair like me now (laughs) um, that seemed old at the time. And, you know, they were great landscapers, incredible masons, incredible in terms of design and placement. uh, But they didn't, none of us knew anything really about soil. And I kept uh, getting these questions about holistic, you know, landscaping. So I met a guy named Alan York who uh, was at Benzinger Vineyards. And Alan blew my mind. I I was able to go up to Benzinger, meet him, tour the winery, and I got to put my hands in his compost, and I got to see what was going on. I tried to hire him as a consultant, and he told me no. Uh, And ultimately, he led me down the path to some other biodynamic farmers that I met that taught me about making biodynamic compost and brought me into a world that I had zero idea existed mm-hmm. when I got there. You know, it just, I just knew that when I had my hands in Alan's compost and I could feel it and I always share this in my classes, I literally had an out of body experience. I'm holding this compost in my hands and I'm feeling life. Mm. And I, I got this huge, you know, that internal voice that kept giving me this, your life's about to change. Oh, wow. and I'm like going, I had no idea what holding, you know, what used to be cow manure with preparations in it in my hand, what that meant, but I didn't know it was going to mean what happened. Yeah, that's exciting. And we're going to come back to the preparations in a minute because I want people to understand what those are. But first, can you describe your garden for our listeners so they can imagine where you are? Okay. Uh, We live in... We live in on the border of Thousand Oaks, uh, California, and Moore Park. Okay. So we're kind of up on the hill, great sun exposure. We get that great southern sun exposure. Our temperatures, you know, we do get freeze in the winter. It's very warm in the summer here. When we had all the fires out here, people saw it on the news. We're where the Reagan Library is. I'm literally the next exit from there. Uh, we have a great climate to grow year-round. So we have... We do all kinds of like fun stuff. So we do uh, raised bed gardening. I've got a couple raised beds going. 
We have a lot of, we've done a lot of interesting projects with Earthbox, uh, who we did a probiotic wellness garden with them, which they still sell at Earthbox. And uh, with friends of mine that own Terraganics, which do EM1, mm-hmm. and they also make an incredible Bokashi. And we created a growing system there with them. So I have some cool Earthbox systems going. I've got the wine barrels going with tomatoes everywhere. We've got, because Norma does so much orchard work, we've got fruit trees everywhere. Yeah, so we're that those guys, you know? And then yes. out in the front, we have a garden because we do have an HOA. Uh, so when you get behind the gates, it's very different. But out front, it looks manicured nice but we filter food in between the landscaping plants <laughs> the people will walk by and they'll go like is that an artichoke uh-huh. like, yeah that is yeah. yeah that's cool and how just how big is it if you can estimate we're probably on between a quarter and half an acre oh that's nice All right. Well, let's talk about the basics of biodynamics and what you call true organic gardening. What does it mean exactly? What do you, what do you categorize those things to be? Okay. Well, for me, biodynamic goes back to uh, Rudolf Steiner. And I suggest to everybody who's interested in biodynamic that they actually get the course in agriculture and read it and probably read it a couple times or like slowly read through it because it's a tough read. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of stuff on YouTube about biodynamics. There's a lot of great biodynamic farmers out there, you know, really look at, you know, what I love about biodynamic to me when I came in from landscaping is the concept of, that I spoke about with Alan York is the concept of a closed loop system and that inputs equal outputs. And I loved that idea because in our traditional kind of Western landscaping and Western farming, you know, it's all about, you know, you get nothing is closed loop. It's all, you know, in and out and sideways and there's nothing, you know, that's integrated, you know, correctly. So that was my first clue that, wow, this is something that's fantastic. And you can close the loop on your home garden the same way you can, you know, by composting, by having worm bins, by doing other things that, you know, historically since World War II and since we got back into the 50s and became these chemical gardeners mm-hmm. and farmers, you know, so for me, that was an exciting thing. For me, biodynamic is a very, very holistic form of farming and then also into gardening. And, and that even goes to the preparations, which there's a lot of great things written on the preparations. Uh, what I love about the preparations is that they come from nature. And they are, um, you know, they're natural microdoses, if you will, of, of flowers. And they all have very specific things they do in biodynamic agriculture. But what I love is like in making the compost, we put the preparations, we put preparations 502 through 507 into our windrows. And it's a great time when we do that. And we do it a couple of times. And we also then do a, um, we do a valerian spray afterwards. And it's, for us, it's a great time to be actually your hands are in the compost. You're literally, you know, in a pattern, making a pattern um, of, of where you're putting the preps in. And when you're on a, you know, two or three acre pad of compost and you have all that energy there and you're adding micro doses of, of flower preparations into those windrows where there's already so much biology, it's an amazing 
experience. Right. And the, I, I guess I'm jumping ahead when I, when I want to ask you about how, how this actually works. So the preparations are numbered 501 to 508, something right. like that, right? 500. Yeah. 500 is the cow horn, the original the cow horn manure. Okay. And, and the preparations, my understanding, and this is one of my questions is that the, the preparations are fermented inside an animal intestine. And so for vegans, that's a bit of an issue. Uh, for vegetarians, that can be a bit of an issue. Is, is, there, is that the way it's still done, or has someone come up with an alternative that works for veganics? No. We, uh, so I'm, I'm a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. As am I. <laughs> okay. So I'm not a vegan. I'm a vegetarian. Thank so you. for some of our vegan pe- people, it does create a problem. You know, for me, I go, what's more vegetarian or vegan than a cow? Um, right. So, grass eaters. So, right. You yeah. know, so I look at it that way and I look at even depending on what worms are eating, you know, it, you know what they're, you know, so, so I look at it differently where I go, okay, yeah, I can understand that. And that's a purist philosophy and people that don't, I say them, you know, then really grow truly organic, which we can talk about and make your own compost, make your own castings. And then on your own property where you've already got your own biology, biology happening, your own, you know, ecological system, then keep feeding with that and, and feeding that. And then find some, somewhere, something that you think is suitable to your needs that you can go ahead and add um, as either a food source or a natural organic fertilizer source or whatever. Because in the experience that I've had, just straight green waste composting a lot of the time um, isn't enough. Yeah. That's my own, you know, my, from my own experience. Yeah. Same here. In fact, I was just talking with someone at my community garden today about how we have such sandy soil that the, the nutrients flush out so quickly that compost, compost tea and worm castings aren't enough. And that's a lot. And I have really high organic matter in my, in my garden, I've been working it for 20 years and it's still, Mm -hmm. I have to use a little bit of fertilizer. So as much as I try not to, that's a necessary element. And there are vegan fertilizers, but it's that animal intestine part that I just thought I'd ask about because well, it's yeah, a no, little and, like and we're, we're old school. So yes, we actually, yeah. and we've gotten so big. Um, I don't want to say who, but we have, I, I would say one of the best prep makers in the United States making our preps for us now mm-hmm. and very old school biodynamic farm. And so, yeah, so if you, you know, so for us, that's what we do. We, we are, we're traditional in the way we make the compost. You know, but other than that, we're very modern in the way that we run our farm, even though our farm looks lived in, uh, you know, (laughs) it doesn't look, you know, it doesn't look like a, you know, a, you know, mass production farm, but you know, you got to keep weeds down. You got to keep things down. You got to keep, you know, where we are, we've got, uh, the blackberry brambles in Oregon. We've got, you know, I mean, which get insane, you know, and, and when you've got humic acid, you know, and great, you know, compost. <laughs> They're going to grow yeah. like crazy. We, we have the things that grow on the exterior of the farm, not mm-hmm. only the stuff that we're growing on the farm, but the exterior stuff is like, you have to just stay on it. So we, we combine kind of, you know, old biodynamic principles and old organic principles and old natural farming principles with, you know, modern agriculture. Cause we've got turners and we've got, tractors and dump trucks and loaders and things that we have to have to produce compost in a way that it can get it to market. 
Right. So let's talk a little bit about, because you use the phrase true organic gardening, which is more, so biodynamics is beyond organic, but you're talking about something that integrates even further other philosophies and practices. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it goes, it goes all the way to where, you know, there's people that are purists about like, you know, we were talking about, you know, vegans and there are people that, you know, I'm more of a, what I call an organic purist because in our country, the USDA controls what's labeled organic and what isn't labeled organic. So that's the national organic program. And so for me, I'm a purist there because what we make is a very real, true, non-GMO, 100% organic, farm-made compost. And So uh, you're, sorry to interrupt, you're using uh, non-GMO alfalfa in your... In the to, feed stock. In the feed, yeah, got it. Yeah, so the animals basically are in pasture. You know, yeah. they, they're in pasture a lot, and when they're in, in Oregon, let's say, for example, the farm in Oregon, also in Northern California too, uh, we have organic alfalfa and organic hays and grasses that we grow and some of it we buy from other people that are, you know, and then what we do, we run tests. So I, we're the only soil company in the United States that runs genetic IDs. So we'll take the compost and we go ahead and I do, we do testing on the manure and we do testing on the finished compost and we're looking for GMO corn, soy, and alfalfa. Got it. We've never had in 10 years a positive, which is amazing. You know, so yeah. So when I say beyond (laughs) organic, because in a lot of things, you can go into the nursery and buy something that's labeled organic and it might be 30%, could be 70%, could be 95%, could be a hundred percent, but organic. And and you have to kind of, I always tell people become a black belt at Googling. Don't believe what you see in the beginning and just keep, you know, if you really want to know, just keep digging, you'll find the answer. But for me, it makes no sense that you can take a product that has chicken hydrolysate or chicken manure or hydrolyzed chicken in it that came from a conventional chicken farm and all of a sudden through the magic of composting, it's now organic. Yeah. Those animals didn't eat organic food. So to me, it's, it's a real gray area. So I try to, we compost, I have worm bins, I use Malibu compost, I use booze blend compost, that's my go-to, and um, I make a lot of stuff on our property, and then I run a lot of compost teas, so that what I'm doing is I'm, you know, I'm continuously re-inoculating the soil, and I look at true organic as, so we talked a second ago about fertilizer, I'm super sparse and careful about fertilizing i mostly let the biology mineralize the Mm -hmm. nutrients out of good clean organic matter so i'm not needing to do so much you know for me i will rarely use oyster shell or use a calcium on my tomatoes because usually like blossom end rot is primarily a watering issue it's not an uptake issue yes thank you for saying that so one of the things that i see a lot is when people see blossom and rot and ask for advice the first thing people say is not enough calcium and i'm like no (laughs) there's probably plenty of calcium in the soil Mm -hmm. you just need to make sure you have the biology there that will help it you know be able to be taken up and it's often a watering issue. And my previous guest, Scott Dagg of Tomato Mania, also said that it's most often an inconsistency in watering that is the issue. So, we yes, we're on the same page. I just hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, and so for me, like in a true organic methodology, right? If I'm using a clean compost, 
if I'm making compost from what I'm growing in on my property, I have a little bit of lawn because we have a dog. Uh, if I if I grow that organically and I take my lawn clippings, right, and I use that as my high nitrogen source, you know, you can really, you can create hot compost or fast compost in an urban environment if you layer correctly and have the right stuff. So in true organics, I'm like a real purist that I don't, I don't use insecticides. I don't use. Uh, I don't use any fungicides. I don't use any herbicides. Um, if I'm going to mineralize, I'll use something like uh, a Cascade Minerals or um, there's a new. Uh, it'll come back to me, but there's a great mineral source that comes out of. Oh, Crater Lake has a great mineral source. Okay. Um, I'll use those guys. I'll use the castings that we make occasionally. Uh, for our roses, they really love the big nitrogen hit. I'll take um, from Modesto Milling, I'll grab some of the uh, organic alfalfa pellets and to make a little tiny mush. So I'm composting with my with, with the booze blend. I'm running teas all I'm running teas most of the year in California, except for November, December, and January. I don't really run teas on my roses, but I will a couple of times a year put a little mush out there and the roses, you know, love it, especially when I'm you know, when I'm looking for that green, that new growth, you know, coming out uh, after a hard pruning. You know, you come into you know February, March, really love that. You know, as you're starting to, you know, it works great. So I use those kinds of things. So when you talk about laying down an alfalfa mush, you're talking about taking the pellets, soaking them in water. What else do you do with them before you put them down? That's it. They become. I, I just mush them up with my hands and get them like nice and gooky and just kind of. I'll, because I compost, I, I compost the roses um, really hard uh, in January here where I am, you mm-hmm. know, and do a dusting in February. Then maybe I'll throw a mush out, but I start running my teas right away. I start feeding with compost tea as soon as you know I get into February. I run teas every month all the way through Halloween. You know, pretty and much. By, and by run teas, you mean running it through the irrigation system or you soil no, no, drenching no, no, or you I, I, fuller no, drenching? I mean, I mean, I mean, as a, I'm saying it's a protocol. So I, I, uh, I mean, run as a protocol. So I yeah. make, um, I take for our roses, I'll take our, you know, the, our compost tea for flowering plants and roses. And I just, I like, I have brewers, so I do a lot of aerated compost teas. But I, but at home, I find if I make a couple of buckets of tea extractions, mm-hmm. and what I like about the teas that we make, they're just really simple because they come in a tea bag and you just right. throw it in water. You know, it's that simple. You know, right. so I always do that. I, I do like the for the people who don't know, I do the mystery reveal at my classes where I go, hey, I'm going to show you something really hard to do, and this is this is how to make a compost tea, and they're all like, oh wow, this is going to be. And I go, so I open up a tea a sleeve of the teas, and I take the tea and I put it in the bucket five gallons of water and I go there now you let that sit overnight give it a good stir squeeze out the humic acid and then put it in your watering can or if you've got you know a fungal issue if you've got any powdery mildew you know whatever spray it on there you know and so people are like that's it I'm like that's it we try to make organic gardening simple but real and true, honest, you know? So for me, part of the true organic thing is we eat a lot of food from our garden and I, we have a lot of customers over the years. So we've been at this for, you know, 11 years now, this with the company and I've been doing a lot longer before that. Mm -hmm. And 
we have a lot of people that write us and thank us for giving, having true products that they can trust because somebody in their family may have um, cancer or may have a gut illness yeah. or their kids might have ADD or there's other things. I've had thousands of emails from people and, and those are the things that honestly like keep me going in this thing because the connection that we get that's so different than from, I think with so many other soil companies is that because we go teach, because we're available, because I get thousands of emails that I answer and we all answer and we're all connected to the people that we, that, that use our product. We become like, we're all part of this boo family thing. That's like way bigger than me and way bigger than our company. Boo family. Um, I like that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's cool. And people like I'll go places and people were like, Hey, you know, we, you know, everywhere, like we use your stuff or, you know, and people that like a lot of times it's really funny. People will say to me, are you bud? And I'm like, uh, no, it's, it's boo. It's boo. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm not bud, but <laughs> Boo is a cow, by the way, listeners. Boo is the name of the first dairy cow that you rescued when you started Malibu, right? Exactly. Yeah. And Boo, who, who lives on through her kids. And, you know, like when Boo passed away, we got 3,000 plus emails and messages of condolence. Like, yeah. and you know how many of those people had met Boo? None of them. Mm-hmm. But they related to Boo and the people related to Boo. And, that was definitely for me, probably one of the hardest days in my life when I had to go up there and we had to dig, dig the you know Pooh's burial site and bury her. And it was uh, it was an amazing thing. So for people that don't know, animals know. And yeah. so what we did is when Boo passed, we saged her. I saged over her and we took down the uh, fence post and we let all the animals come through and they smelled where she was and they, and then they all walked out, including her kids and the other, and the rescue donkeys and the, and the alpacas and the, and the other cat. It was just an amazing thing. And, uh, they know, you know, and we're all part of the cycle and it was, um, you know, I, I yeah. probably, honestly, I probably never cried harder in my life. Yeah, it's hard. And we have the same experience with our chickens when one of them, when one of them passes, all the others are gathered around and just kind of what keeping vigil it's, you know, chickens aren't smart, but they are in, emotionally intelligent in a way that people don't give them credit for. So it's good to know that you gave them that chance to experience that sense of closure around who's passing. Yeah, it was, an, I mean, her story, you know, to me, um, from when we rescued her, the day we rescued her from the slaughter auction, to how, you know, how she became this symbol for so many people. And, um, you know, cause I look at, you know, what we do, it's not me, you know, I'm a, I, I believe in God. I'm a, I'm, I'm, you know, I have a very dear, you know, I, so I believe it's way bigger than, 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 you know, me, I'm just a, another part and boo was a part and everybody that started us and all of our customers are a part. And, you know, all of us guys are just trying to do something good for the planet and good for our yards and good for our guts and good for our health. I mean, we're just trying to do the right thing, you know, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day and uh, you know, like, you know, what you're trying to do, you know, everybody educates, we're just trying to like say, Hey, you know, there's another way because um, all the way back to Rachel Carson's book. I mean, it's, it's, this is the right way, you know, the old school way at the end of the day, in my opinion is the right way. 
you know, and so having being involved in a thing where every day I get to wake up and get a call at 630 in the morning about what's happening on the farm or both farms. And, and, you know, in some weeks there's a lot of crazy stuff going on and other weeks it's more like, you know, we're just shooting pictures and looking at temps. We look at temps every day, but we're looking at stuff and, it's an incredible thing. And then to have that where you then have the end user, you know, call me up or send us a direct message or whatever and say, Hey, I'm using your booze blend compost for the first time. And, you know, I says here about top dressing. I'm not sure what top dressing really means. Like how much is that? Or, you know, am I doing too much? Am I going to hurt it? You know? And it's like, no, no, no. And it's like, and by the way, thank you for, for trying this out and trying this methodology out and, you know, and coming down this road and, you know, no, your microbes in your, in your soil are going to thank you. They're going to yeah. thank you for this. Before we get to tip time, I have one more question. Uh, and it's, and it's without revealing any proprietary information. I wanted to ask if you would walk us through how Malibu compost is created. I know every once in a while I run into one of the clay balls. Can you describe that process? Ah, yeah. Okay. So, so, um, yeah. So what we do is we are on organic farms. We have our own farm in Oregon. We co-op on a farm in Northern California and they're both organic dairy farms. We do the manure management for those farms. So we take the manure, uh, on the farm in California. We actually make the compost on that farm. In Oregon, we're right across the street from a really incredible, wonderful organic valley dairy. And we've become incredibly good friends with these guys. It's it's a beautiful dairy. They take great care of the cows. One of my favorite times to be there is when they're doing acupuncture on the cows. It's it's amazing. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, to see cows, you know, to go when they're getting acupuncture and to see how, just like what happens with us, how how we get so calm, Mm -hmm. to see cows, these big, beautiful animals just like get calm Mm. and still is like so cool. And so we take the manure off of this. There's a giant separator and we take, it's a big, it's a big thing where it takes all the manure out of where it gets flushed out of in the milking barns and gets set up onto a big pad. And we remove that off of there and we build these giant windrows. So we build windrows that are 150, 200 feet long. Mm -hmm. And then what we do is right away, we start watching the temperatures because the temperatures will rise. So what we do is, and depending on the season, if it's very wet or if it's getting drier, like it is now, we could hit 135 degrees three or four days after we put it down on the windrow on the pad, Mm -hmm. right? Into a windrow. And then once that happens, we hook up the Turner, we run out there with our compost Turner and we turn it taking everything and bringing it back in. And that drops the temperature back down. And then it starts to rise again in the national organic program, the NOP that we talked about earlier, you have to hit temperature of 131 to 160 degrees for 15 days straight. Mm-hmm. So, and that, that's pathogen reduction. And so right. what that does, it kills all the E. coli, the salmonella, the listeria, all that stuff, the weed seeds, everything. We monitor that really closely. And then, um, and that's the, the kind of, as it comes out of the cow, it's very bacterial. So that's a bacterial phase of composting. Once it goes through the thermophilic phase, we let it just kind of sit then and it gets this nice crust on it. And, uh, as it starts to drop the temps because we're made on soil, we get all of this microscopic also fungi that gets up into there. And that's why when we do all of our lab analysis and you see 
the biological reports, you see a lot of comp, you see a lot of bacteria in the compost, you see a lot of fungi in the compost, you see other, um, you'll see other things in the compost starting to, other microorganisms starting to come up into the compost. It becomes a very complex soil, living soil, basically. And at a certain point, it's ready for us to screen it. And we do YR compost, and you've used it. So it's for the guys that don't know, it's very fine. It looks, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't it look like, like soil. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't look like woody stuff that you get that's called compost or, you know, whatever they call it's it. It's reduced now. waste, is what that is. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and that's because we screen it with an eighth inch screener. And so it's very fine. So, what we do is we take the spoils, but for us aren't spoils at all. We take those things and we use them again and we lay them down. We use them when we make the new, the next windrows. And what we're doing is we're already inoculating with the biology that we have now, now that that's more complex than what's getting put down. And that's kind of in a nutshell, you know, what we do, how we make the compost, um, you know, and, and we put the preps in at a certain time Mm -hmm. and we do it twice and we do you know so we do certain things at a certain time and that's what's really more proprietary how we do it in our way that satisfies our organic certifications our biodynamic certifications and our ability to sleep at night great well let's get to tip time then because we've shared you shared a lot of information about the concepts that that you're encouraging people to follow do you have a favorite tip that you'd like to share with the garden nerd audience I do. My, my favorite tip for gardeners is to not get panic stricken about pests. Oh, yes. Okay. Because people freak out about pests. So for me, I'm all about what I call practical pest management. And the number one part of my practical pest management is that when I'm doing soil mixes, or I'm adding soils, or I'm getting ready to put together a new a new bed, I always add beneficial nematodes to my soil mixes, always. And what that does, because if you've got a good soil and you have a really good load of biology in that soil, you got lots of food sources for those guys. Plus you have lots of, um, you're gonna get lots of larvae, lots of stuff. If you got a real good living soil, they're coming in. They're gonna. They're gonna. They're gonna lay their eggs there. And you know, in my classes, I say to people all the time, if I could tell you how you could eliminate eighty-five to ninety percent of your pest at soil level, is anybody game? And they all raise their hands. And I go do this, okay? And you know, the uh, the SC nematodes, the HBs, and the SFs. If you use those guys, I'm telling you, you solve a lot of your problems right there. And don't. Just don't go to the pesticides and, and be careful even with the ones that are labeled as okay for organic production. Just be careful. Exactly. I feel the same way. And <clears throat> I feel like I have, I've had a bottle of some kind of bugs, you know, organic bug spray on the shelf, but the, the bottom fell out. It, it dried up and rotted out and it like became so brittle. <laughs> the bottle broke. That's how often that's great. I've good, used that's it. a good sign. That's a good yeah. sign for pesticide. I know, right? So it's that's great. That's a really great tip. And I, I love the idea of starting your bed with beneficial nematodes because usually people are, I recommend to add it if you have a problem, but I hadn't considered starting it 
in the first place. That makes so much sense. Especially when you know, like when you're going to have new, fresh, green growth and you're going to have all kinds of outbreak. And then you have that, that happens in the spring. And then again, you have that in the fall where you get that same hit again, you know, and it's like, when we get into the heat, things change, you know, especially where I am, it, it, you know, it changes your, 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 your battle becomes the moisture content in your soil. And that's another thing. Remember you're growing in soil, keep your soil moist, keep the biology alive. They need moisture. They need, you know, they can't dry out and then you water them again. And especially if you're adding, you know, if you're adding a beneficial to as a, as a, as a, you know, as a pest protocol, you got to keep that soil happy, keep it alive, you know, keep it going. Right. When soil dries out, the microbes die or go dormant and then they don't do their job. So no, and that's why the compost, like that's like literally like my, our compost that we make the, the booze blend for me in terms of my moisture management of my beds and of, in the ground and my raised beds and my stuff in containers, when you have enough really good finished organic matter in the soil, it makes your job as a gardener, or a farmer a million times easier. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing that tip and all of your tips, Randy. And thanks for being a guest on the Gardener Tip of the Week podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Where do people find you? You can go uh, at www.malibucompost.com and we have a store locator on there and that shows our stores, which is kind of cool, all over the country that carry us and you just plug in your zip code. And if you, if there's not a store near you, we actually have our own online store and you can just go shop online and we've made sure that we have the lowest prices online because we include the shipping and our stuff because there's a lot of people that don't have a store near them. You know, there's certain areas that, that we don't have distribution there. So we sell all over the country at our place that we call the tea house in, in Berkeley where we make the tea and it's the coolest place ever. We ship out every day all over the country, you know, for our, our own stuff that we sell to people. And, you know, and we prefer doing that because, with the way the world is and the way big business is and the way this whole thing is going on the internet, a lot of companies are doing what we're doing now. And I always say, Hey, support local. So first off, go shop local, go shop your local guys and support that local independent nursery or feed and farm supply. And then secondarily support the people that actually make or manufacture the stuff that you like, you know, or that you support, you know? And so our own online store has become, this massive thing and it's kind of our protest against what's going on globally in terms of, of the internet. Good. That's good to know. And do you have any social media feeds that you'd like to plug? We do. Uh, our Facebook page, of course, people can go to that. We have a really nice Instagram feed. And then the new thing that we're really starting to do a lot on is on Pinterest and we're um, getting onto their uh, there's a lot of people that garden there and they love the, they love, you know, the pins, they love the boards, they want to see what's up. So we're going there. Our, our weakest feed is probably our Twitter feed, but you know, Twitter's tough for gardening. I don't know. It's just, yeah. a, you know, it, it's a tough one, but you know, if you want to see pretty pictures or interesting pictures or what is, Hey, what's the farm look like that you and I were just talking about? Or, Hey, what's that compost turner look like? Go on our Instagram feed. You'll see it. Cause we just do pictures all the time of different stuff you know, follow us on those places. And, and the other thing too, is we have a lot of people today, which is interesting. 
they choose to reach out. Um, I don't know if that happens with you, but they reach out to us on DM all the time. You know, yes. we have a lot of questions, you know, and, and we answer them. So if you want to send us, uh, you know, a question at info at malibucompost.com, one of us guys will answer it. If you want to DM us, one of us guys will answer it. A lot of times when people that we all work with, like a lot of times they'll, they'll come back to me and say, Hey, what do you think on this? You know? So cool. Reach out. Right. We're accessible. Excellent. All right, Garden Nerds, you'll find links to Malibu Compost at GardenNerd.com this week. We'll also share Malibu's social media feeds and a link to the story of how they rescued Boo. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at GardenNerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under GardenNerd1, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube 